The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a marketing tactic that is both a user engagement and data collection strategy, marketing surveys. Joining us is Eli Schwartz, who's the Director of Growth and SEO at SurveyMonkey, which is the world's leading survey platform that enables big companies and small companies, including 98% of the Fortune 500, to have conversations at scale with the people that matter most. Prior to his role at leading growth at SurveyMonkey, Eli was an SEO-focused growth advisor for various startups, including Zendesk, Quixly, and Quora. And today, Eli is going to tell us how he drives enterprise organizations away from their dependence on paid channels through the use of marketing surveys. Okay, so here's our interview with Eli Schwartz, the Director of Growth and SEO at SurveyMonkey. Eli, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, man, it's great to be here. It's great to have you here. So I think it's really interesting. Your background is primarily focused on SEO, and you have a philosophy that helps organizations, big and small, but mostly the enterprise-level organizations, decrease their dependence on paid channels like Facebook and AdWords. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. But before we get into the conversation, just give us a little, you know, 10 seconds on your background and some of your experiences. Probably the most interesting piece of my background is that I spent a couple of years in Singapore a couple of years ago, between 2015, 2016, where I had this idea that digital marketing was going to decline when the American economy went into some sort of recession. And I wanted to learn something different. And I wanted to learn international marketing. So I actually went to Singapore with SurveyMonkey and led our marketing from there and had a fantastic experience learning about marketing in a different region, met so many interesting people and traveled to really fascinating places and the soft spot in my heart forever for Asia. But prior to that, I actually started the SEO practice at SurveyMonkey, been a 12-year-old company, never had any SEO in the past and was able to build up that architecture, work with the engineering teams, work with the content teams and, and create SEO. When I joined, there was essentially only brand search and by the time I had gone on to Singapore, SEO was one of the strongest revenue drivers in the company. And prior to that, I was actually at a startup where I led all of our marketing. It was a content-based company and built out everything related to traffic coming in. So it was like early social, which was, I hate to say it, but sort of spamming on Twitter and early attempts at Facebook advertising when Facebook advertising was just coming out and a lot of SEO. 
And from there, I got this real strong affinity towards SEO. And that's when I moved on to SurveyMonkey for a real SEO challenge. So you've had a wide variety of experiences focusing on growth in general, but at your core, you're an SEO. So talk to me about the content strategy that you advise, you know, obviously SurveyMonkey, but some of the other companies that you consult with that gets them away from being dependent on paid acquisition channels using marketing surveys. It's an interesting question because a lot of people ask me, why does SurveyMonkey need marketing? Everyone knows SurveyMonkey. And then the second question will be like, why do they need SEO? Like, wouldn't they just Google for SurveyMonkey? And essentially, there's, of course, branded search for people that know the brand. But if people don't know the brand, nor do they even know the solution they're looking for, that's where SEO comes in. So SurveyMonkey is, say, a Swiss army knife for data and can help companies learn or anybody really learn information from their respondents about how they can address a certain challenge. So say a company has an employee retention problem where their employees keep quitting. So that's their problem. Now they'll go to Google and they'll search for help with employee retention. I make my employees stop quitting. What they may discover is employees quit because they don't like their job. And there are many reasons employees don't like their job. And you want to find out why employees don't like their job. And the way to do that is you ask them. And you might ask them in a survey. So it's really broadening where people are going to find the brand and where people are going to find the products and bringing them deeper into the funnel. I think that everybody thinks of survey monkeys as a way to get information from your customers. You can also do it with, as you mentioned, your employees or any sort of group that you want to collect data about. To me, what's interesting is using the mechanism of data collection as an engagement strategy. It's an excuse to reach out to somebody that you want to have a relationship with under the guise of trying to learn more about them to improve your products and surveys. Do you see that marketers are using surveys or doing data collection to some of their prospects? And is this a user acquisition channel at times? I don't think it's a good user acquisition channel because there are a lot better ways to engage with users like in a quick email. However, I think from a data collection standpoint, it's a great way to understand users and understand how to better market to them by knowing what their triggers are. That's interesting. I would have assumed that there are ways that you can reach out under the guise of, hey, we're doing customer research to understand who someone is and what their hot buttons are related to a certain product or service. And then that leads into your marketing strategy. You see that they've engaged and they've told you how they want to be sold to. And then you basically just listen to your customers and then go execute against what they're saying. Is that something that people don't do? I mean, I've used surveys in the past to try to reach out to people to understand who's going to be engaged with a product just based on, hey, they filled out a 10-minute survey. They're obviously relevant to this market. Am I the only person that thinks about using surveys that way? I think it's a two-step process. So when someone's in a frame of mind where they're taking a survey, they're not really being marketed to, they're helping you. They're sharing their own information. And then maybe if you would market to them right then and there, they might be somewhat turned off. So I think if you learn about them and then figure out how to market to them later, it's probably a better process. Okay. Let's use the example of you're selling a soft drink and you ask somebody about their interest in soft drinks. Are they a soft drink buyer? What's the flavor of soft drink, the color, the calorie count that matters to them? And you're collecting all of this various data. Well, if you're a soft drink manufacturer and you have a whole line of soft drinks and someone says, I want a zero calorie, zero sugar cola... Now I know that I should be marketing that person Coke Zero, not Coke Classic. So then I start serving my ads depending on what their survey responses are. I think that's a noble attempt, but this is a MarTech podcast. Mm -hmm. So MarTech is actually what's missing there. There's so much data people can collect. 
And I don't think companies are really great and certainly not and smaller companies can't do it at all. Really great about being able to take that data and move it into that next phase of almost building those custom targeting lists. Say you send out a survey to a thousand people and you now gather from those thousand people, you may get 50 data points on them. Moving that into how to personalize it at scale is a challenge and you need the right software to do that. Yeah, it's less about personalizing it at scale, although I do think that there's the opportunity to be able to do that if you're surveying a large enough user base. It's more just creating the customer profile to then go survey. You're saying, okay, here are the 50 respondents. We're breaking them up into five groups. Now we have at least 10 emails to go profile, understand more about these 10 people, and then go build a target audience based on what their likes and behaviors are. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems hard to do at scale. Okay, so tell me about some of the other ways that people are using surveys as marketing tools and some of the other ways that they're collecting data to do their marketing targeting. So I think the most interesting way of using surveys is to create viral content that creates a brand awareness and then potentially, from an SEO standpoint, a bunch of links. So the way I've done that is there's something you want to know and you ask people your basic questions and then you ask on top of it, some other basic questions like gender, demographics, geographics, how much money they make, and then you marry that all together. So to dig deeper into that, I actually did a survey while I was in Asia with an organization called the Restroom Association of Singapore. So it's actually an organization that's targeted at making clean bathrooms across Singapore. Like That's their single focus. They raise money against it. The government funds them. And I stumbled on their website and I saw that they had a terrible survey I'd actually first discovered them because I saw an ad for them in a public bathroom, and I thought it was a joke. Was it a clean bathroom or a dirty bathroom? It was actually a dirty bathroom. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So I thought it was fake. So then I Googled it, and I found their website, and it was like a real organization, and they had a survey that popped up, and it was terrible looking. The questions were really bad. So I reached out to them and asked them if I could help them with their survey and do a survey together. Our partnership was that they would get access to all the survey information they want to know, but I would get access to all the content. So we did a survey and found out some like, amazing things about how people drop their phones in their toilet and how people don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom and just the kind of content that everyone really wants to read, but not admit that they're probably one of the subjects in the article. And that got picked up by Mashable. It was on every single radio station in Singapore. It was on TV. And that really cost me almost nothing. All I had to do was get a few responses And as I cut the data, I was able to say like, males surprisingly are less likely to wash their hands when they go out of the bathroom. And Android users, I forget the stat, were so much more likely to drop their phone in the toilet than iPhone users. So I asked basic questions such as like, how often do you wash your hands when you go out of the bathroom? And then I'd also ask those gender questions and demographic questions. And by putting that all together, I came out with the stats of male Android users are more likely to drop their phones in the toilet. Those are the headlines people click. Interesting. So you're using your surveys as the means to collect data to use in content as opposed to using the survey more as a marketing outreach channel. Correct. That's from my standpoint. I'm not a customer success manager. I'm a marketer and I'm using that as my marketing tool to create other marketing content. So you're using marketing surveys as a way to create content, right? You're trying to get as much information from a broad user base and you're aggregating that and coming up with some interesting headlines and writing articles around it based on the data you have. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. 
Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. How much do you think about collecting data about your prospective customers and then building out profiles from there? I think from my experience, it's something that many organizations are missing. They don't really understand their customers. They have this assumption about their customers that they are going to be a certain type of people. They are going to buy a certain way and they haven't really validated it with data. So there was a company I was working with, a high-end e-commerce site, and they had assumed that their customers were all men and they had earned a certain amount of income. And as I'm working with them and I was helping out with their SEO strategy, that was all a complete assumption. They'd actually never even asked their users. They'd never deployed any sort of survey to find out who their users were. They weren't even looking at their data to look at like the names of who they're sending to to validate that their customers were even males. So that's where I would say marketing surveys are incredibly helpful because they'll help you validate your assumptions. They'll help you discover things you didn't know. Maybe all of your customers are male, but they're buying whatever they're buying for a partner or a spouse. And the way you're going to market to them is different because their buying intent is to make someone else happy rather than to make themselves happy. So talk to me about the frequency which brands send their marketing surveys and what do you think is the right amount to reach out to your customers to ask them for information? I think in a minimum, it should be once a year, but there's also companies that do it too often. Like I fly United Airlines and every time I fly United Airlines, the day after I land, I get an email from them with a survey. And I don't know how many customers they have, but they have thousands of planes in the sky at a time. And they're sending a survey to every single one of their customers. That data at some point is going to be pretty useless and it's going to be pretty large. So I think that it's helpful to survey somewhat at random, but at a minimum of once a year, you can even go to once a quarter. But you don't want to survey too often because people will stop responding to your surveys. Or the only people that will respond to your surveys are the people that had like an amazing experience or a really poor experience. So to try to get good data, you want to not annoy people with your surveys, but also not make it too infrequent. Yeah, I think the question is, what's the purpose of the survey? When you're asking for detailed information about how someone views the brand and the products, and you're you know, asking them to actually type something, asking for that on a weekly basis seems like overkill. On the flip side, you think about building something into your product experience like 
Uber and Lyft's Facebook mechanism where they're asking you in real time to evaluate what the service is. That makes sense. So things like NPS score or rating an experience as it is being completed, I understand. And you can use surveys to do that. But when you're doing your big, let's understand who the customers are, how they value our brand, that's a quarterly or a yearly project for me. I mean, that's a great point you made out of Uber and Lyft, and probably eBay is a better example. I don't know how I didn't think of eBay first. I worked there for forever. Yeah. So on Uber and Lyft, you're asked to hold a driver with stars. That's all you can really do. Or I think afterwards, they sometimes say, why did you rate them with the stars? But really, if they want accurate feedback about their driving, they should at times have some more questions so they can learn about their drivers. Like I've had some drivers, they were great people. Their drive was great. However, their driving was unsafe. There should be a way that I could say, I really like this person, but I also want to point out that their car was a little dirty or they didn't drive so well. And I don't want to go give them two stars because of that when there just should be a way to split it up a little bit. So eBay does it better because eBay is asking you about, was the product what you expected? Was the shipping on time? Was the description? So like, just get a little bit more information about the experience before you can make a judgment call on, on what that data is. Yeah, I think the headline here is if you're going to ask for feedback often, ask for it in very small amounts. It's a tap on a five-star scale or it's a quick evaluation right at the end of a purchase as opposed to a follow-up email that's a day later that's five minutes long. You can collect a fair amount of data from your customers, but you want to space that out over time. And you're asking about their general feelings, not about a specific experience. Exactly. Okay, so give me some best practices for marketers just for using their surveys and a little bit about distribution. I'd say most people don't send surveys correctly their first few times. And the reason is, is because when they go to analyze their data, they realize how bad some of their questions were or how they're unable to parse any information out of the questions they've asked. So it's important that when someone is asking a survey, they can evaluate each question and say, well, if I ask this, what am I going to get out of it? So going back to, you know, I mentioned gender a few times. So when you ask a gender question, if it doesn't matter whether someone's male or female, don't ask it because now you're going to have a useless piece of information. There's also a concept of survey fatigue where someone just gets tired of answering questions. And we've all been there where you're answering a survey and then you discover that it's 50 questions. You're like, I'm done. So when you drop off, they're not going to complete the survey. At least the beginning questions, if they've done it on SurveyMonkey, the answers will be saved. However, you might not get the answers to the other questions you want to ask because you wasted your time asking questions you didn't really know what you were going to do with. So important thing there is to follow best practices, try to fill out your own sample survey and try to analyze the data. And is it easy to analyze? Am I getting the information I want? And if it's not, go back to drawing board. And like we just said, you should send surveys on a somewhat infrequent basis so people don't get tired of answering your surveys. And if you send out an email with a survey to your entire customer base and the data is bad, you don't really get a second shot. So very important to test your survey, test the analysis of it, and make sure you're getting out of it what you expect to get out of it. Yeah, I think good advice in terms of you got to test the survey before you send it out and send it around the office, get some feedback, see if people that you know have questions about how you're asking questions, just to make sure what you're asking is logical to the people you're sending it to before you pump it out at scale. In terms of the number of data points you need to make surveys valuable, is there any sort of sense of scale? Can you survey 50 people? Do you need 10,000 to be able to make conclusions? What are the rules of thumbs for the amount of data you need to collect to really feel like you can use the data that you have? 
really depends on what you're trying to figure out. There's always the idea of a sample size. And I think a sample size for the U.S. is about 350 people. And we have a sample size calculator on our website where you put in your population size and it gives you a number of survey responses that you need. But there comes a point where the data doesn't really change anything. If you send it to 10,000 people, it may not be that much different than 1,000 people. So that's probably a mistake that many people will do is we say send out the survey to wait too many people and you are fatiguing that audience and you can't send out the survey again. So if a company does have a process where they want to frequently send out surveys, maybe they should send it out to smaller sample sizes so they can send out a survey again to another sample and they haven't used the entire customer base up on one shot. That's the surprising thing to me when I started doing marketing surveys of how few people you actually need to respond. You mentioned that you can get 350 or so responses and have a statistically significant sample for most of the United States for for the United States. There is overkill in terms of how much data you're collecting and I think the question is are you going and asking customers for feedback so you can act on what they're saying, right? Are you asking to feed them into your customer service loop? Or are you trying to get a census of what your general user base is thinking? Those are two different experiences where one, you're asking for feedback from every customer, and the other one, you only need a few people to be able to give you the direction that your entire user base feels. Exactly. And one valuable point there is if you ask open-ended questions, you'll get open-ended responses. So give people the ability to share their thoughts with you and you'll get really interesting insights. I mean, all your questions should mostly be closed-ended, multiple-choice questions so you can make database decisions. But do give people a chance to share their thoughts because that's so valuable and it's a great way to engage with your customers and understand what they're thinking. Absolutely. Surveys are a powerful tool. I think that there's multiple different ways you can use them. You have to be thoughtful about how often you're reaching out to people, what you're asking them, because you don't want to run the risk of burning your user base out and you want to have a fresh audience so you can continue to test. With that said, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Eli Schwartz, the Director of Growth and SEO at SurveyMonkey for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Eli is going to tell us about the best practice for marketing data collection and analysis. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Eli, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at 5LE, that's the number 5L, the letter L, the letter E. Or you can visit his website, which is elishwartz.co, E-L-I-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z dot C-O. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, that's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Eli Schwartz, the Director of Growth, and SEO at SurveyMonkey, we've got some great episodes lined up over the next couple of weeks. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production.
Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.